morning. It was cool seeing the youth team out here. They're not 19 years old, just so you know, they're in their mid to late 20s. But um, Navon, the middle school pastor, said that there was such a good hype and feeling like the 1998 Bulls. What was odd about that was that his short shorts reminded me of the 1980 Bulls. I don't know. <laughs> he won't hear that joke until the third service, but I will be faithful to tell everyone each service. Uh, that was awesome. That song we just uh, listened to, I had on repeat all week because I knew I'd be uh, teaching on heaven. And so that was sweet to listen to that again this morning. We're in our Life in Him series in John chapter 14. If you have a Bible and want to open to John 14, you can. If you want to open up our church app, you can follow along there as well. The context for this passage is still hours before the arrest of Jesus about 24 hours before his crucifixion. The difference now in this chapter from last week is that Judas, who was going to betray him, had left the room, and now Jesus is just speaking to his faithful followers, not the traitor himself. And they're discouraged because Jesus keeps on saying, where I am going, you cannot follow, right? But you know the way, one day you'll be there. And so they, the disciples need comfort. And Jesus is going to comfort them by talking about heaven and the Holy Spirit. He wants to encourage them to not be troubled. Uh, last week, during two different services, um, there were two people that were worshiping the Lord passionately, but it was emotional for me to watch because I knew that just within a day or two of that service, their spouse of many years had died. Two different people worshiping the Lord despite being in such pain. They were drawing near to God, still trusting in Him, even though this happened. And thoughts of heaven are especially close to those who have recently had someone go there. That reality is crystal clear to them, the truth of heaven. Some people are told by doctors that they don't have much longer to live. And so others think about heaven because they realize they're going there soon. But no matter what age you're at, and even if you're healthy, thinking about heaven is beneficial for us. In fact, we get into trouble when we forget all about that great reward. And we think life is just about this stress, this turmoil here on earth, the experiences I'm going through, and it'll always be that way. Well, it won't always be that way. There is a great reward for Christ followers. And so we need long-term perspective to get through the day-to-day. -day. I wanna put three quotes on the screen to show you how heaven has shaped people's perspective. The first is Max Licato, who says, God never said that the journey would be easy, but he did say that the arrival would be worthwhile. His perspective is life is hard, but there's this goal that we have at the end. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, if we were given all we wanted here, our hearts would settle for this world rather than the next. God is forever luring us up and away from this one, wooing us to himself where we'll find what we long for. She's expressing that even though we cry out for it, we can't have heaven on earth. There's still sin that is happening. There are still people disobeying the Lord. And so God reminds us of heaven and that he will satisfy us. And John MacArthur said, we don't seek to escape this life by dreaming of heaven, but we do find that we can endure this life because of the certainty of heaven. Thinking of heaven can help us in our endurance and our walk with the Lord now. And so this passage is important because if we can focus our thoughts on heaven more often, we will receive comfort and purpose for today. And Jesus begins to describe it in verse one of chapter 14, where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. We see here that there's a place for you in heaven. This is where Christ followers will go. Before we start to see what Jesus says about it, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just describe heaven to them? One word or what do you think heaven's gonna be all about? Go ahead and tell them. I was expecting to hear a lot more about food than I'm hearing right now. So I'm a little discouraged at your lack of Bible knowledge. Come on, food. Heaven is described as the marriage supper of the lamb. We're going to feast. Heaven's like Thanksgiving without family. I mean, without the family drama. Without the family, without the family drama. Heaven is where there is no more sin. Everyone is obedient to the Lord and finding great satisfaction. Yes, we're worshiping the Lord. We think of heaven as like clouds and we have Casper bodies floating around singing songs. And that's not very accurate. Jesus did ascend to heaven, so it's not wrong to, to look up. But in, in heaven, it's going to be a lot more like the Garden of Eden, restored, where we will have new bodies that will not age and, and wear out. There will be no more pain nor suffering. We will have purpose in serving the Lord in that new heavens and new earth. Heaven's going to be amazing. We're told that there will be no more tears, no more sorrow. God's going to wipe all that away. And we will experience the joy of the Lord forever. What a sweet time it will be. John 13, the previous chapter, Jesus is saying, I'm going away and you can't follow. And that caused the disciples to be troubled. And we have similar experiences when people that we love go to heaven and there's that distance between us and we, we want to be with them, but there's going to be a temporary gap for us there. And so Jesus speaking to disciples that are troubled gives us a command. This is how much Jesus doesn't want us to worry and how much he wants us to leave trouble and anxiety in the past. He, he gives us a command saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's spoken in an authoritative command. You don't, you don't have to stay. You don't have to let the, the grief swallow you up. And he tells us how we can obey that command when he says, you believe in God. He tells the disciples, you believe in your father in heaven. You can't see him, but you still trust him. Jesus says, believe also in me, who soon you also won't be able to see, but you can still have a relationship with me. Our belief in God sustains us when we are troubled by death. The more we can think on the Lord and worship him, the greater peace we'll experience when we are troubled by death. And heaven here is described as a place, as if it were a loving household. Jesus says, it is my father's house. And so heaven in some way is going to feel like we are a part of a loving family and that we finally have arrived home. Sometimes if you're out on a work trip or traveling and it's, it's fun to see new things and they go to different restaurants, but there's nothing like being home. Heaven's gonna feel like that. It's God's house and we're a part of his family. And you think, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy to experience that. How do I know I'm going to be there? Well, Jesus knows we lack assurance of that. And so he fortifies this by telling us that heaven has many rooms, right? You're invited. Everyone hearing John 3.16 is invited to partake of heaven. Access is available. And Jesus is preparing a place for you. And he says, I'm going to come back and bring you there. Speaking of his second coming. We await the coming of the Lord, but the more often experience that we have is that people we love go to the Lord before that day. Now, 
Heaven is amazing for all the reasons maybe you whispered in each other's ears, unless you forgot to mention food. But heaven is amazing mostly because Jesus is there. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven, right? The, the fact that we get to be with Jesus, the one who saved us and rescued us, and we get to go there. And remember, Jesus is forever going to be the God-man. And so we will experience Jesus in heaven in a way where we can see his face, his arms, right? There's a real good chance we're hugging God when we get to heaven. We'll be hugging God himself through Jesus. And so heaven is heaven because of Jesus. But guess what makes heaven heaven for Jesus? It's us being there, right? Jesus says that you also may be where I am. Us being in heaven is what brings the joy to Jesus. He went through everything he went through so we could be with him. Now you think, well, he, he got the raw end of the deal. He got the short end of the stick in this, in this bargain. We get God, no sin and complete forgiveness, and God gets us. Yeah, but the Bible's clear. We are the inheritance of God. He values us so much that his reward is us being there. That's how much your God loves you today. It's about, it's about the people that you're around. Before Shannon and I moved into our, our current home in, in 2020, we were in a small 1,200 square foot condo with our three kids. And when we tell people that, everyone's like, oh my goodness, that is tiny, that's hard. And we don't, we don't remember any negative thoughts about being in that tiny condo because we were there together. All of my kids learned to walk in that small condo. There was nothing but joy there. We had home groups full of tons of college students coming over. We loved our neighbors. And it was a five minute walk to my office. So I saw my family all the time. That condo was amazing because of the people that it represented and how close I could be to my family. So if you ask me, do I regret not buying a house for $200,000 in 2012? No, no. I keep telling my therapist, no, no. Who needs three to $400,000 equity when you have family, right, babe? I love you, Shannon. No, I do. It actually, I actually do have no regrets in that, right? And so, there's a place for us in heaven is what Jesus is saying. He goes on to describe it in verse five. Thomas says, Lord, we actually don't know where you're going. So how can we say we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him or you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? We see in these verses that there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, but there's confusion about how we get to heaven across this entire world, isn't there? Even Thomas, spending time with Jesus, said, how can we know the way? There's confusion. So is the way one of the many religions that are out there? Is the way irrelevant as long as we are sincere? Is the way by being a good person? Is that how we claim our reward? Is that why we're rewarded? My little son Titus kind of felt this yesterday. He was helping us get the house ready for a party we're having. And uh, he was really doing a good job. And he was the one saying, how can I help? How can I help? And so we, I thought this was pretty clever, but I set an alarm at 7.11 p.m. to remind us to go to 7.11 and buy, buy some ice. I, that was actually brilliant. That was the best thing I did all weekend. And so Titus, when the alarm goes off, like, yeah, and he's, he wants to go with me. 
And so I say, we're just getting nice, guys. And Titus is like, I still want to go. And we get into the car and Titus says, you know, dad, there's still a 50% chance that I'm getting a Slurpee because I was a hard worker today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you are a hard worker. Don't ask me if you got the Slurpee. I'm a monster. <laughs> Listen, being a good person leads to good things, right? But I wouldn't trust my best five minutes on earth to get me into heaven. It's not about that. Whatever way we choose to live our lives based on heaven, it's gonna feel right to us. Just, just, that's just how humans are. We research something, we think, yes, this is the way. But the scriptures remind us to be humble. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there, there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's important that we choose the right way because there is only one way. The way to heaven is through Jesus. We, we've got to believe that the way to heaven is through a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Salvation is a person and Christianity is Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the way in a world full of distraction. Jesus is the truth in a world full of deception. And Jesus is the life in a world full of dissatisfaction. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If he's the way, we have to follow him. Even if he says, go that way, and our heart wants to go this way, right? If he's the truth, then we need to build our lives and our decisions off of his promises. And if he's the life, we need to learn how to abide in him and find joy in a spiritual life, not just a physical life. The way to heaven is a person, and the way to heaven is also exclusive, there is only one way. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. The pathway to heaven is exclusive to Jesus Christ. He is the way. And that's, that's an exclusive claim. But if it's truth, it's truth. The sinner could not go to God, so God came down to us. We could not build a ladder or a way to be good enough to get ourselves to heaven. And so God came to rescue us. But it was a costly rescue. It was very costly. Imagine God's reaction when we say, ah, I hear that, but I'll find another way. There is probably a better option. What kind of monster do we think God the Father is if there was another option to save humanity besides his own son dying an agonizing death on the cross? If there were three, four, five different options, then God would have chosen those other options. This was the way that sin could be punished and we could be forgiven at the same time. Of course, there's no other way. I can't imagine that. So yeah, heaven's exclusive, but you don't have to be excluded. The way is exclusive, but the invitation is for every single person in this room and on this world. And we get, we get to be told exactly what it is. It's through Jesus. Now, Philip in the passage we read expresses a universal desire that we've all had of wanting to see God, right? He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responded, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Everyone wants to know what is the truth? Who is, who is God? How did this world get its start? Even the new James Webb uh, satellite or telescope that's out there that's replacing Hubble. If you look at the goals of the satellite, they want to peer as far as they can into the distance so they can see the formation of planets and stars. They're ultimately getting at like, how did this all start? And even if you could look all the way back to that first moment, you still have to ask yourself, well, how did any of this stuff even get here? 
How did this start? You still have to have God for any of this to make sense. We all want to see God like Philip did. Philip did not know that when he looked at Jesus, he was looking at someone who perfectly displayed the Father. The scriptures are clear. There is only one God that we worship, but within that God are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Trinity confuses you, take heart that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but this chapter and many chapters of the Bible do make it clear that God is triune. There's one God, three distinct persons. And so I'm gonna put a slide on the screen that will perfectly explain the Trinity. To, no, even after seminary classes, it's hard to understand all this, but this at least represents what the scriptures say about the Trinity. The Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And I'll just stop right here and say the Holy Spirit isn't a force that is just used by God and Jesus. It's a he, right? It's wrong to say it. We say he, the Holy Spirit, is a person, right? The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. They're distinct. But the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, is in the Son, right? It's, they're in each other. We just read Jesus say that. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And so we have God. You don't have to be able to perfectly explain the Trinity to get into heaven. We also shouldn't be discouraged that we can't figure it out. Shouldn't an infinite God that has always existed, all-powerful, all-loving, be a little bit mysterious to finite minds like ours? It's okay that we don't fully understand this, but we do see how it all works in the scriptures and how it benefits the believer. And so Jesus shows us that there's only one way to heaven, and he continues in verse 12 to say, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We see here that there's work to be done before heaven. There's still work to do, so how do we conduct ourselves in the meantime? It's not just birth and then, oh, everything good only finally happens in heaven. What do we do here on earth? Well, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works. There's work to be done. We're still here on earth because there's work for us to do that God is assigning to us. When I read this passage, I thought of a Cornerstone member named Larry Pickering. He's 81 years old, and he taught the uh, ABC Bible study that we had during second service for years. We've, we've renamed it the Explore the Bible study that happens during the service now over in small church. But when Larry told us last year, hey, at the, at the end of the year, I need to step down as being the main teacher here. I'll still help out and be supportive, and I, and I love this group, but I can't be the main teacher anymore. And then he said, because I want to spend the rest of my time pouring into my family that does not yet know Jesus. That's the work that I'm going to give myself to. And I thought, well, what work is better than that? What an amazing ministry. I wasn't discouraged at all that he was changing that focus. It challenged me and it blessed me. It reminded me of my grandma as she was you know, battling cancer. And one of the things that hurt her the most wasn't the cancer. It was the thought of, what if I go before my family fully knows who Jesus is? There's still some that don't accept Jesus. That was the burden on her heart. What a work that we can give ourselves to pouring into our family and influencing them towards the Lord. There's work to be done. And we can be confident that God wants to use us. Each person in this room and watching online, God wants 
to use us. Why? Jesus says they're going to do even greater things, speaking of us, not just speaking of the disciples, but, but speaking of Christians to come. Probably not greater in the sense of bigger miracles. Our goal shouldn't be, well, Jesus fed the 5,000. I'm going to feed the 10,000, right, through a cool miracle. Not bigger in the sense of greater miracles, probably greater in the sense of numbers. Now that the work being done through the Holy Spirit isn't just happening through Jesus, but through, through all believers that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That work is going to continue. And so now you've got the Apostle Paul, Peter, and the other apostles that are out there, and there's healings and miracles that are giving glory to God. Peter preaches on, on Pentecost Sunday, and 3,000 people are saved in that one moment. That's actually more than any sermon that Jesus gave, greater in number, not greater in, in size. Jesus's words here that we will do greater things, it's an invitation to radical faith. It means our life doesn't have to be ordinary. We don't have to just go through the motions and feel like everything's mundane and we're stuck. We can seek God and say, what's the work that you have for me in this season of my life? We see this all throughout the scriptures. In Ephesians, it's said like this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Each day, it would be a proper way to look at life to say, there are good works that God has already created. I just need to ask, am I going to be aware enough to walk in those works? Am I gonna ask God to show me what those good works are so that I can be a part of his kingdom building that's happening here on earth? We're created for this. We'll find satisfaction in doing this. So what is the specific work that God has for you in this season or for your family or for Cornerstone as a church? What is God asking us to do? And we can be confident that we will succeed in saying yes to this, to this work. If God's calling us to something, he's going to empower us to do that. Jesus says, you'll succeed because I will do whatever you ask in my name. Jesus is like, yeah, it's, it's sad for you that I'm going to, to having to be with the Father, but me being there means that when you pray in my name, I will look to the Father and say, what do you think? Let's do this. And, and God will grant those requests to glorify me and I'll glorify God through these requests. And so Jesus being there gives us confidence. But this doesn't mean that a believer can just ask for whatever they want and they will get it. That's not what the verse or any of these verses that talk about being given things uh, mean, right? The key to the promise is in his name. When we ask according to the mind and the will of Jesus, according to the character of Jesus, when our request is, Lord, I really want my neighbor to know who you are. Lord, my family is hurting because of, of sin and broken relationships, and, and we, we want to be healed with you. Lord, we want to be walking in the right direction with you. As we ask according to things that if Jesus were next to us, he'd be asking the Father for these same things, he's going to empower us in those areas, not just by tagging his name on at the end of a, a prayer request, but by praying according to his heart, how he would pray. It all starts in prayer as far as discovering the work that God wants us to do. So I'm, I'm happy that really soon we have a community prayer day. I think it's August 27th, and we're going to pray in five different cities. And if you text the word community, you can sign up to pray in, you know, Marietta or Menifee or the different cities that are around here. And we're going to gather with other people that, that live in or near those cities. And we're going to say, God, what do you want us to do? Jesus, what do you want to empower us to do to reach this city, this neighborhood? How do you want to use us? There's other churches in, in this valley that you're using. What's our role as members of, of Cornerstone here? 
What do you want us to do? It all starts in prayer. Don't see this community missions event as less exciting as the community service day where you get to go use your hands and you know paint a building. It's prayer. This is like the mystery. If we can believe Jesus and, and God, everything that we see in the scriptures about prayer and then commit to it, God has invited us in to the running of the universe. He's invited us into the conversation and we get to be a part of his plans. And the big struggle we have is actually believing that prayer works and that it's worth our time. I, I'm gonna be there on the 27th and I'm hoping that you will also, right? Because there's work for us to be done before heaven. That's where we're at now. But we also see in verse 15, Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Anyone who loves me, in verse 23, will obey my teaching and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And if you jump ahead to verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We see here that there's a preview of heaven. It's not just you're born and boy, life is a horrible struggle. And then there's a reward for all the pain. No, you can have a preview of heaven. We can have a glimpse of heaven during our time here on earth. And we preview heaven in a few different ways. We preview heaven when we obey Christ as our king, right? As we're obeying him, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is a preview of heaven because living for Jesus is satisfying. The world tells us everything else is satisfying. When we choose by faith to live for Jesus and obey his commands, we find satisfaction in the right things in ways we are created to enjoy. And so uh, J.C. Ryle talks about this where he says, what would an ungodly person do in heaven if by any chance they got there? No one can possibly be happy in a place where they are not in their element and where all around them is not agreeable to their tastes, habits, and character, right? As we obey the commands of Christ, our tastes, habit, and character changes to become more like Christ. And so heaven feels more like home when we get there and we preview it here. As Jesus taught us to pray, reminding us what heaven was like and how it can happen here on earth. When he said this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is heaven partly because everyone treats Jesus as king there and there are no other options. <laughs> earth is earth because we don't treat Jesus like king. And so sin runs rampant and destruction and pain are a part of our life. As we choose to yield ourselves to the commands of Christ and say, Lord, we wanna follow you, we experience heaven by being satisfied in the right things. We also preview heaven as we relate to the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us Right? We have a relationship. It's described like this in Ephesians. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. As we believed on Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwelled us. Right Now we have that as a guarantee. We can experience heaven because we're experiencing the presence of God with us. Holy Spirit is described uh, over the next few chapters. In this chapter, he's called a helper, another advocate to help you. 
He's a truth teller because he's described as the spirit of truth. He's a teacher, says he will teach you and bring to remembrance all the things I've, I've said to you. And he's our divine host because Jesus says, we, speaking of himself and the Father, will come to them and make our home with them. We can say that Jesus dwells in our hearts because that happens through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in the God-man glorified body, but in spirit, he dwells within our hearts through God, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a person, right? Not in the same sense of of flesh, but as far as personhood. And so we can bless or grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And as we yield to the Spirit and follow the Spirit's guiding to point us to Jesus and to live like that, we have a taste of heaven in our lives. And finally, we can preview heaven as we experience the peace of God. There is a peace in our turmoil that we can still have that is something that we will have fully in heaven forever. And maybe you came in here troubled and discouraged and there's a bit of despair in your life and you think, man, everything just full of anxiety and life is tough now and relationships are broken and stressing me out. Jesus wants to give you his peace. And as you receive that peace, you get a glimpse of heaven. Sometimes it's during a worship time. Sometimes it's during prayer. Sometimes it's through reading the scriptures. But Jesus wants to give each person peace in the room today. And I know some came in today with extra stress extra anxiety that could use some prayer. And I want to give us an opportunity, even though we don't normally do things like this, where if you are feeling stressed out, anxious, and you need the peace of Jesus, I would like you to stand so that I could pray for you as we close our service. A lot of people stood in the first service, so I know it's uncomfortable to be the first to stand. But if you feel like you need the peace of Jesus today, because it's just, there's just a storm going on in your life and inside of you. Just stand so that I can pray for you. I, I pray for the whole church, but I want to pray for you if you're struggling in regard to this peace that Jesus wants to give you. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He wants to give us this peace. So let me read this scripture over you. Hear these words as intended for you, and then I'll pray for us. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Lord, for each person that's standing here, I pray that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would be present in their lives. Lord, that right now the Holy Spirit would make your presence real to them and they would feel comfort from the Father, that they would recognize that Jesus has them. He's holding them closely. Lord, that no matter what kind of brokenness or stress or anxiety that they're going through, that you can give them peace in this moment. We can have a taste of heaven now as we experience your peace. And we know there's a great reward for each person in this room that loves you. And so, Lord, bless and take care of everyone here, but especially those that are standing now crying out to you for peace. Give them your peace. We know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys today. We hope to see you next week as we continue. And our prayer team is available up front if you have any prayer requests.